It is that time of year again. Merry Christmas, everyone, from TK's A Brigade. I am TK. Today we have a guest who hails from Nashville, Tennessee. His name is Toddy Funk. And I get to jump on the phone with Todd and talk about his journey, where it started, where it took him, and where he's currently today. So turn up your radios and listen now as Todd and I talk about his life here on TK's A Brigade. Today's the day I'm going to jump on the phone with Toddy Funk. A quick backstory about Todd and then we will give him a call. Now, I met Toddy Funk when he was touring with Toby Mac in Diver City, but Todd's journey started long before Toby Mac. He hails from Nashville, and I'm in Denver, and so the connection might not be the best on this phone call, but we're going to try to make this work because I can't wait to hear his story. So give me a second, and I'm going to pull up his number and give him a call. Yo, Todd, what's up, man? It's TK, brother. How are you doing, man? Hey, hey, what's good? What's good, TK? What's good, TK's Brigade listening audience? Yep, this is your boy, Toddy Funk. Yeah, man, the funk master himself. All right, I want to kick this off with a quick, fun story. About a year ago, I was writing a song, and I needed a bassist to lay down a track. So I was like, I wonder if Toddy Funk would be willing to do it. So I hit him up on Instagram, and I was like, yo, man, I got this song, bro. I need a bass player. What do you think, man? He's like, oh, yeah, man, let's do it. And so Todd and I got to work on this song, Faith is Real. And let me tell you, it was truly a blessing to have Todd on it. And uh, so I figured I'd reach out again and and just see if I could uh, get him on the phone. And I am excited to hear your story, Todd, because to be honest, bro, you know, I know a little bit about your career with Toby, but I don't really know the full spectrum. So why don't you kind of give me some insight as to where your journey started when it comes to music, bro? Man, you know, good music was always around the house. You know, when we were growing up, my mom was a big fan of Sly and the Family Stone and Temptations. And I remember hearing the Jackson 5 in the household. And then my uh, my stepfather, he was a big James Brown fan. You know, um, Stylistics, Delphonics, uh, Spinners, that kind of stuff. So it was, it was funky, it was R&B and... And it was what we grew up with. You know, my my grandparents, my mom's parents, uh, my grandmother listened to a lot of James Cleveland and and gospel music. My grandfather, he was a huge Blue Note jazz fan. Sometimes on the weekend when we'd spend the uh, night with my older cousin Rick, his mom, Aunt Karen, she was dope. She listened to like, you know, James Taylor, Janice Ian. And, and then she would mix it up with, with an eclectic mix of like Funkadelic and the Isley Brothers and just, man. So it was just music everywhere, man. We were getting it from all sides, you know what I'm saying? Wow, so, yeah. you know, it was hard to escape it. Yeah. Sounds like you grew up around a lot of funk. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was mostly R and B at that time, but oh, okay, a lot okay. of it was funky. Like you, you know, you, you think about the Temptations and songs songs like Psychedelic Shack and Ball of Confusion and um, Flipping in the Darkness and things like that. That was, it was it wasn't really the funk, but it was funky. We were probably you know uh, getting ready to go into junior high school. The earliest remembers I have of being just blindsided by the funk was. Um, my mom took my brother and I with her one morning, one early Saturday morning when we wanted to watch cartoons, you know. She had, she went to go get her hair done across town. Okay. And 
we remember we had to sit upstairs, you know, in this little area where there was a TV while they were downstairs getting their hair done. Well, me and my brother, you know, being being inquisitive as we were, for some reason, I guess going to the bathroom or something, man, going down the hallway, I happened to look into one of the bedrooms and saw all these records stacked and leaned up yeah stacked and leaned up against the wall you know on the floor and then the stereo you know and I went and got my brother man we started looking through these albums and man we started seeing this weird freaked out animation that we would later find out that it was the artwork of Pedro Bell oh wow who was uh, yeah who was um, uh doing work with George Clinton artwork for Funkadelic. I guess the first record that we that we saw was the Tales of Kid Funkadelic. Man, it was just such a freaked out record cover. It's like, man, we have to hear what this sounds like. Filled with Afrofuturism and guitar necks that looked like a snake winding around, you know, somebody's body. It was just, it was so crazy. And we found that there was actually a story that went along with that from Bootsy Collins. But anyway, we put the record on from the very first song it was just like oh my gosh what is this and we were just we were smitten and and basically the the next song um that came on the record was called the undisco kid the girl is bad and it starts out with bootsy collins sliding on his bass with a with an envelope filter on it i've never heard anything like that in my life and it just goes into this funky bam i said oh Man, because years later, when I was on tour with Toby Mac at the time, um, I got a chance to share that story with Bootsy. Yeah, oh, wow. and That's um, awesome. we sat down and yeah, I sat down and had a really good laugh about it. You know, but yeah, man, you know, it, you know, those were those were great times, man. Just exploring and finding out and hearing these sounds that were coming off that vinyl, man, and just being intrigued, as you know, even from like hearing, you know, the first time I heard a bass player thump and pluck the strings on a guitar, I was like, what is that? How is he doing that? And just being taken and, you know, at any time in the morning when we get ready for school, we'd have the radio on while we were getting dressed and listening to the radio station playing all the, the latest R&B, you know, joints, man. And, you know, anytime a song came on by one of my favorite bands with a bass player, was you know just doing his thing man it's like it, it was just it was exciting because bass at that time was uh finding its own voice in a different way you know it went from just being a background support instrument to playing melody playing the lead line sometimes the bass was the song that the, you know the song was formulated around the bass line absolutely you know so that yeah so that those are the things that that drew me to bass now, you said junior high was when this kind of like, it opened your eyes to the different styles of music. Is this when you picked up the bass or? Yeah, I was a late bloomer. I mean, I got bit early. I remember, you know, even maybe like in first grade, you know, second grade seeing Michael Jackson and his brothers, you know, the Jackson Five performing on variety shows. They even had their own show. And I would I would imitate Michael. You know, I'd go downstairs and I remember in the basement there was this table and we had this light that dangled from the ceiling. Yeah. And so that light that light was my microphone. I'd get up on that table, that that light would hang down and the bulb and the bulb was my mic. Okay. You know, I'd play like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd play like I was Michael Jackson, you yeah. know. The first song that inspired me, again, you know, we were at my cousin's house on the weekend and my aunt Karen played this song and started out, 
a legend himself. He and his brother Edgar Cruz, they, they played Spanish flamenco guitar and classical guitar, but Mark also played jazz. And later he played in one of my R&B bands. Um, he had a gig with a, um, a popular singer around Oklahoma City uh, named Colleen Shepard. And she would sing in lounges, you know. Yeah, like um, the small clubs and bars. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and we're making, you know, first time making money, you yes. know, playing a playing a legitimate gig with a grown woman. You know, I'm 19 right. years old, and we're like, man, this is kind of cool. You know, we're out in the club playing this music. You know, it it was weird because it was difficult because of, uh, up until then I had this one track mind. You know, I just wanted to be this this funk R and B player, but it was like, no, man, you got to learn how to play this pop too. Right. You know, you got to broaden your, your understanding. Yeah. yeah, Denise Williams, Barbara Streisand, the, you know, the Pointer Sisters. You know, because she was female, so she was singing all this female stuff. Right. You know. It really stretched me and I had to work because, you know, like I said, I was a late bloomer and I didn't play in church or go to school for, you know, music. So I didn't get that early on education. So it was just, man, I was fortunate that the most high smiled on me and said, okay, I see your desire. This is what you want to do. You know, here, I'm going to give you this, but you have to develop it. Yeah, you're going to earn it. Yeah, for sure. Right, yeah, right, man. right, right. Wow. So you're so you're 19, 20 years old. You're playing professional gigs in clubs, and you're starting to learn the uh, the full roundness, so to speak, of of how to play yeah. this. Because let's be mm-hmm. honest, you get some of these cats that play. You know, they'll play like an eight string bass, and they'll use a pick because this the the BPM is so fast that that's the only way to really play it. Um, right. You know, and, and right. you know, I'm a musician myself, and I look at these different ty- uh, styles and artists that play different styles, and it always intrigues me to to see somebody who can pick up a a style or a genre, you know, play that style, and then you say, okay, well, can you play this style? And they're like, oh, you mean this? And then they'll play something in a different style or genre. And, right. You know, right. It's just impressive to see that. So knowing that you know you kind of self taught yourself, but um, you know, you had a desire and a passion to learn that. I mean, that's amazing because that really, um, you know, inspires a lot of younger people mm-hmm. seeing somebody who didn't necessarily, you know, get formal training per se or take formal lessons, but got to sit down and just say, okay, look, this is my passion and I'm going to play this until I understand it. And then, you know, here you are, 1920. Mm-hmm. So you're playing with this uh, this female vocalist uh, around the different gigs. And so w- where did your journey take you after doing that? I mean, how long did you do that? Well, you know, the goal was always the big stage. Absolutely. You know, it was always the big stage. We wanted to be rock stars. We wanted to be, you know, we wanted to be the next parliament, funkadelic, earth, wind, and fire. You know, anything that was, I mean, that's what the goal was always. But after after Colleen Shepard, I believe, you know, so back then, you know, early 80s, you had this 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 R&B pop band called Colorblind. These kids were in high school and you'd see them in these in, in this limo and coming out in leather suits and colored leather suits and stuff, you know, walking in the malls and restaurants. And you're like, oh, man, that's them dudes. Man. That's they a big time. record deal, you yeah. know, and then you and then you had and then you had the Gap Band right up the street in Tulsa with burn rubber. I think they had left Tulsa, but that's where they were from but it was just you know it was a lot of excitement because the gap band was at the top of the charts and they may have moved from tulsa oklahoma to la by that time i mean that was like a university for us you know i mean i even played with with the leader of that band 
And so I already never forget, man, we were in the garage, man, and, and Vaughn comes over, he walks in the garage with this with this grin on his face. We're like, man, what? You know, <laughs> what was going on? He's like, man, there's this dude in Dallas, man, who's He's got, he's got a lot of money, man, and his band just left him. I told him about y'all, man. He wants us to come down and be his band, man. He said, man, it's going to be live, man. I'm telling you, man, this oh, dude, he's, man, he's got a limo, and, man, he's piping, man. He's building up the story, man. He's, he's just, you know, and we're like, okay, 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 so what's what's really real? You know, what's up? And so long story short, man, we, we pack up. I was at the University of Central Oklahoma at the time. You know, my mom was, you know, she, you know, she knew that my brother and I had a passion for music, but she wanted us to be more, you know, they felt would be more realistic, a more traditional path, something that's more of a guarantee. But, you know, when when Vaughn came back with that, I was like, okay, so mom, we're moving to Dallas. Oh boy. You know, that didn't make her happy. What year was that? You know, what, what, what year did you man, guys? Man, that, that had to have, that was early, 85 84 wow. 85 wow and so That's yeah so i mean I'm, we're fresh out of high school you know we're fresh out of high school and um so we rented a u-haul you know put our money together rented a u-haul got our gear and our, our stuff and then we moved to dallas and um <laughs> i love that we moved so, to dallas that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah we just we said okay we're gonna do this man and so we moved to dallas and it was so crazy because when we were coming down 35 south into dallas you know you see the, the dallas downtown skyline yep and you know reunion tower you know and then you see um you know the gumby building with the green neon lights on the you know the on the outside and we're like man this is this is gonna be all right i think man this is gonna be cool and um so we pull into the uh, reunion hotel downtown and Vaughn he meets us there because he was already there and we pulled in with the u-haul my brother and, and kevin and, and myself and then Vaughn gets in the, the truck with us and then this white limousine pulls up. Oh, and wow. It was, it, and it was nighttime, so it was kind of really hard to see, but this white limousine pulls up, man, and it's funny because I just remember Vaughn getting out, you know, and running, you know, kind of kind of trying to be cool, run, you know, kind of running over to the car, and the door doesn't open, but the window comes down, and all this smoke just comes billowing out. Oh, boy, here <laughs> we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks really like, man, they're getting... They getting Tore down in that bad boy, you know, and so, and, and so, it, I always remember it looked like a hand reached out the window and and like he was dapping Vaughn, like he was giving him five or something, but he was actually giving him some money. Okay. And so Mark Vaughn was coming back to the car. He wasn't running. He was kind of walking, looking down, and counting this money in his hand. And he started laughing when he got back to the car. And he said, "Man, he said I told you, man. I told you, man. He got the limo. He's rich, man." And I'm like, we like, okay, man, okay. So what's the plan? We got all of our gear in this truck and all our stuff. And so you know, we we head over to the Red Roof Inn. You know where we stayed. You know, box. You know, had all of our stuff in boxes, and you know. And we were eating, you know, dude gave us enough money to eat, but we're like waiting on instructions. But the guy's name was MC. They called him the Master Cylinder. And 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 I, it's funny because when I was with Toby Mac, I used to talk like that guy all the time. And so everybody in the band would talk like him. And we would just crack up because he had this voice. He was like, say, man, you guys won't have to do everything I say, man. Y'all gonna have to do, y'all gonna have to rehearse. Y'all gonna have to, you know. And oh, so, wow. You know, and everyone, yeah, and all, it just, I would just drop into that. I would just get into that mode, man. And, and just, man, everybody, we would just crack 
up, you know, <laughs> to the point where you know it was so infectious. Toby had to get in on it, and he would he would do he would do his imitation too. But but yeah, man. So with that situation, long story short, we ended up we ended up doing a Chitlin Circuit gig that was really good for us because we had never we never toured in the United States before, and we were playing all these you know blues buckets, man. It was crazy because you know these are venues that typically are for an older crowd. You know, these newer pop R&B bands, you know, playing these buckets, man, with these older people are used to getting the blues, you know, getting their faces peeled off by these amazing blues players. And so they're kind of looking at us. We're coming in with the spandex and ripped shirts and boots and long hair and everything else. They're like, man, what the heck is going on? You know what I'm saying? But when we got back to Dallas, all of our, okay, so the dude got us an apartment, you know, and furnished it for us, you know. Uh, so, you know, so I mean, and, and he paid us a salary too. I mean, I think back then he was giving us like 250 bucks a week and we weren't even playing. And that's like rock you know star money at the time, right? I mean, yeah, 250 yeah, a week, man, bro. Let's, let's be yeah, honest, that was like, man. man, that was more than you could make on a, you know, on a job. <laughs> Flipping you know burgers, so bro, like, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. Right, we didn't, we didn't have to flip burgers, so we was like, cool, man, you know, we can make this work, you know, until we, until we hit a lick or whatever, so... So anyway, we came back from that tour and uh, I'll never forget it was raining. And when we pulled over to MC's, his, his house, man, all of our stuff was in black trash bags in a ditch. Oh, man. Seriously? And we, like, looked, just, at, yeah, just, we looked at each other and oh. we were just like, oh, okay, man. So when we got out, when he pulled that limo in his driveway and we got out of the car, he told us to hit it. He told us to kick rocks. This is kind of the aftermath because you guys had a falling out and he... Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, there was a clarify. falling out on the road and and uh, it was a dude, man, it was crazy because he was running around doing these drug deals, man, and had firearms in the car and we didn't know anything about it, you know, oh, and then what we gosh. did was like, man, this is not cool, you know, we need to, you know, either y'all gonna have to stop, you know, getting us caught up in these, in these drug schemes, we need to get back home, yeah. you know? And uh, so that was that was the short that was the short uh, and skinny of it. But so yeah, we got back to Dallas, got back to his crib, and he, you know, we got out the limo, and he's like, "Hey man, y'all y'all gonna have to get on, man." And he's like, "Bet." So we looking at Vaughn, you know, Vaughn was the one that got us down there. So we looking at him like, "Okay, man, so so what's the play? What's, yeah, what's next, bro?" And he said, "Man." Right, right. So he's like, "Man," he's like, "Okay, so man, let me let me let me call let me call Cedric." And so he said, he said, let me call Cedric, Cedric Jones, man. He's, he'll help us out. He'll know what to do. So we went down to a pay phone. You know, you didn't have cell phones. Oh, no. This is day, so, we're man. still in the 90s, right? Oh, or the 80s, right? right. So we were okay. walking down to a pay phone, man, you know, in the rain. And uh, Vaughn gets on the phone. And, and so um, it just seemed like it took all day for this dude to get to us. I mean, you know, Dallas is a big city, and I mean, you know, he, probably, he had stuff to do, you know what I'm saying? And and it's like, you can't get really anywhere quickly in Dallas, you know, you, you know, 30, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on where you are and where you need to go. That's a big but city. But it seemed like it took all day. You know, it was like, it felt like we were on a 9 to 5, at, starting at 8 o'clock, and he, we didn't see him until almost maybe six o'clock that day. Wow. So anyway, 
it was a trip because he, he came, he came, and we were like relieved to see him. And he just kind of looked at us and had a smile on his face and just shook his head. And he said some things, Vaughn, and then he went into the house to talk to talk to MC to do the fires. And then he came back out and he said, all right, man. He said, yep. He said, yeah, y'all are done here, so here's the deal. He said, man, I'm going to help y'all get an apartment. He said, but you can't stay long because I'm not going to pay for it. He said, y'all got 30 days. Wow, 30 days. And, then I'm, and it, he said, y'all got 30 days to get a show together, and I'm putting you on a plane to Tokyo. Oh, and we're wow. Like, Word? It's getting we're real like, now. Man. Like, you're, you're, yeah, you're getting yeah. out of the United States. And so, you're yeah. Out. Okay. So, yeah. So, we went, we got, we jumped out of the frying pan to the fire. So, man, he got yeah. us a place. Yeah. And um, we kind of got settled, man. I just know we crammed. We had to, we had to learn, you know, basically, we had to put together a show. Um, uh, you know, basically, it was like, you know, like you did in the stage, you know, you played from nine o'clock to, to one o'clock. You know, but oh, yeah. it was us putting it was us putting together three sets, and there, they had to be three shows. And we didn't really know anything about you know orchestrating shows and arranging live shows and and you know building show dynamics. You know, we didn't know anything about it, so, so it was like, man, let's just learn these songs and we'll figure it out as we go. You know, we we were trying to you know put together a song of about thirty five songs. I think we had maybe sixteen or eighteen songs. Yeah, been there. And, um, you know, because this was the first time, you know, never having been in a, a organized situation where you had, you know, a regiment to follow. You know, it just seemed like it was like a lot of time wasted. It seemed like we were doing the work, but it just wasn't getting done. Yeah. Um, two of the members, when we when we joined that band that we got where the guy fired us, MC's band, The Zone, the, the lead singer and the keyboard player came with us. Okay. That grounded out our our little situation from Oklahoma City. We did the best we could. Cedric would come by and make sure that we were learning stuff, you know. And he would make us, you know, he helped us out with some intros and different things like that. And this guy, he was actually, he came from a band called Heaven, Heaven the Band. And I remember seeing them on Star Search, on Epic Man Star Search, oh, when we wow. were still back in Kansas. You back. know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love that back so, in Kansas. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, so this guy, yeah, so this guy was in the band Heaven, who won the Star Search uh, show back then. And so what happened when, when they won and they did their thing, he built a bunch of relationships overseas and started his own uh, booking agency, talent talent agency. And so that's why it's like, okay, y'all got thirty days because he was going to send us over to one of the venues that he had relationships with, right? Right. And start right. making and start making money off of us, but giving us opportunity to to learn the ropes and, and get the music thing going. And so uh, we went to Tokyo and played a, a, a famous club, man. This was the scariest thing in the world, man. I mean, um, the Mugen Club was the first club of its type in Tokyo. It was a a high-end psychedelic club that featured R&B music. But the thing about it, it featured like all the bands that we knew in the States that we were growing up listening to. So those were the bands that were playing in that club. Oh, wow. Right. So when we get there, there's a picture of us on the wall that we took at some point with MC in the zone. And it was right. And it was right between like, you know, Grammy award winning R&B groups or, you know, bands that we've been hearing on the radios our whole lives growing up, like 
Confunction or the Barcays or the Commodores or Slave or Brass Construction. And we looked at each other, we're like, oh, Crap. So they're putting you on this pedestal, basically, of the, uh, as far as the level in music as these other Grammy Award winning artists, and you guys are like, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> right, we're, dude, look, back. we're fresh out of the we're fresh out of the garage. We're fresh off the Chitlin Circuit. We were like, <laughs> we are in trouble. Circuit. I love it. I oh. said, man, we we're gonna have to sink or swim. And I, I mean, I was I was sick the first day. I mean, fortunately, we got there on the weekend that the band that was there before us was finishing up and i'll never forget you know them coming out with all their gear and stuff and i'm looking at the gear that they had and i'm like man we're in trouble because <laughs> i mean dude they they had, yeah. they had gear bro and i just you know and i had i man i didn't have a real bass at the time because my bass that that my fender my fender precision bass that my mom got me in high school got stolen oh, and so man. um <clears throat> what was i playing what kind of bass was i man, i think i was playing like an ibanez something man something that you know was trying to be like a jazz bass but you know and i mean it was okay but it wasn't a professional bass right but anyway man we get to japan and these cats had gear man and so it was dude it was the most pressure, it was the most intense musical situation I'd ever been in in my life up until that point because, you know, one of our favorite bands, I, I forget who it was, you know, I forget who it was that was coming out. Um, I want to say it was Slave, who had massive hits at the time. Actually, their bass player was one of my favorite bass players because when they got their record deal and their first hit, he was about 17 years old. And, um, and it was just crazy and it was really weird, man, because it was like they were there and there was like, you know, the groupie scene and the hangers on were all there just watching these guys leave and checking out who was coming in, you know, yeah. and they're they're looking us up and down, you know, everybody is the band, the chicks and the whoever else was there just kind of hanging on and, you know, we're trying to keep our cool, you know, going into this club with our little, you know, and bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and the culture. So, <laughs> so I got a quick question for you. So here, you, yeah. you know, you're in. You know, this is what. So is this in the '90s yet? Or are we still in the '80s? No, no, we're still in the '80s, bro. Oh, have mercy. Okay, so so you're uh, late '80s. Uh, you, you're finally getting. No, uh, we're, this is this is mid. This is this is like man, oh, '84. You know, maybe like '84. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe '85. Okay. Yeah. So uh, y here you are, uh, a group of Americans coming uh, from the Midwest or the South, and you're just basically dropped into a, a completely different culture, a completely different environment, and you, mm -hmm. you've already got this kind of a notoriety, uh, yep. you know, with who you are and what you're doing, and your expectation is like, okay, we got to live up to this expectation of what these, you know, these fans here are expecting from you us. too. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, the standard, like, right? Like, yeah. like, if you, yeah, like if you do, you know, the research on Mugen, I mean, that was the joint, that was the spot in Akasaka, Japan, that you know all of the American R&B bands came and played. That oh, was wow. the, that was one of the spots, you know, one of the top spots. And so when we came in, they were like, okay, these guys must be dope, you know, because yeah. hey, these guys just left out. So. We get in there, and I just remember, I just remember, man, the first several weeks, it was dismal. 
it was painfully dismal because, you know, we could play, but we couldn't play. Right, right. You know, and so I'll never forget, we were playing one, it was a weekend night, and because this place was... The, the place, right? Yeah. It would, it, 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 it would, it, I mean, it would get packed just because of the, uh, the reputation that it had. And I'll never forget, man, we were on stage, you know, doing our best, man. And we look up and, um, Roger Troutman and Zap come in the spot. And we're like, oh, oh it's getting real now. Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, for those of y'all, for those of you guys that don't know who Roger Troutman and Zap are, you know who Mr. Talkbox is. Oh yeah, Byron. So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 instrument, that Talkbox, that that Talkbox that Byron plays, is the instrument that this guy made famous. Zap and Roger. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. they're coming in. So they're coming into the club, looking around. We can see them looking around, looking at the stage, looking at the dance floor, looking at the crowd, and it was just like, oh my god. But it was really cool because. When we took a break, you know, Roger came up. Maybe I'll never forget. He had this white mink coat on, this this full length mink coat, and he comes to the stage. Man, what's up, little brothers? How y'all doing, man? How, man, y'all sound pretty good, man. Y'all sound pretty good, man. Yeah, man. You know, you know, where you guys from? You know, and it was just really cool because he didn't he didn't clown us. You know what I'm saying? He didn't yeah. talk bad, and, and he just, man, he just told us, man, to keep doing what we were doing, and just, you know, just, you know, you know, practice and just, you know, get better. And I mean, we're like, man, thank you, you know. And so, um, the thing is, I mean, you know, like I said, we could play, you know, and you would know what we were playing, but it just, it wasn't polished, and it wasn't arranged. So, um, I'll never forget. They, there was a guy. I forget his name. I don't know if it was Yuki or Yuji, Mr. Yuki. The the club owner had a had a uh, a guy who was like the like the music instrument dealer, and he had him come in and and so the first thing he said, he told me I needed a, I needed a real bass guitar. He told my brother he needed he needed bigger longer sticks for his drums to get this you know to get a better sound, and. He told my, you know, he told these guys what they needed. So man, he brought all this gear, and they made it easy. You know, they basically, you know, gave us a line of credit and just took it out of our weekly pay. And so we, so immediately we had better gear. We had inspiration. We said, okay, now we cooking with grease. And so we started, we started rehearsing more. And by the time that we finished our stint, we kind of got things popping. We were going and checking out other bands. Yeah. You know, there were other there were other guys from the states that had stayed because the man vibe was so dope. Man, a lot of those guys were like, "Man, I'm not going back to the U.S. I'm gonna stay right over here, play this music, make this money." You know, because we were making we were making man, I think we were making like eight hundred dollars a week back then. Wow, like each each of you were making that, yeah, or like as a band? Each of us. Oh, that's each good money, bro. Man, dude, I mean, that's it was money today. it was it was <laughs> so amazing. I mean, yeah. Tokyo is like a freaking comic. It's like a it's like a comic book movie. Right. The technology, the architecture, the culture, and man, we 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 went out and ate every day. You know what I'm saying? We didn't buy groceries any 
we you know we went out and experienced the the the, the restaurants on the street and it was so cool because I'd go to the same one every day, you know, so I could learn the menu. And they and they would always say, "Hey, American musician, come on in, come on in." And so, you know, and I and and so you know, I did my best, you know, and you know, tried to learn the language at least enough to ask for water and say thank you, you know, just the niceties and 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 be able to order my food. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, and so we. So we saved as much as we could, but man, that first time over, we had a ball. You know, we lived we lived in Akasaka, right behind the emperor's mansion. When I used to run, you know, just around, you know, when I used to run on my route, you know, I'd go out and not too long, maybe a quarter mile, you know, down, I'd make this turn and then there was the emperor's mansion. And I would run by that every day and just take up and just take in the culture, man. It was, and you know, and it was cool because, man, we made friends and we learned how to ride the the trains and the subways and um, get to different places, man. And you know, you couldn't speak a lick of Japanese, but people were always willing to help. You know, like I always kept a card with my address in Akasaka, so if I ever got worried or got lost, I could show somebody and they could kind of tell me what I needed to do to get back. That's smart, and, man. I um, like that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we all did that, you know, and and uh, it was cool. You know, a few times we saw, like, I'll never forget, we, we met, um, we were at McDonald's one day and, and uh, we saw a bunch of other musicians with tour jackets on. And so, man, anytime we saw Americans, man, we we're trying to chat them up because, you know, we those are the only people we could talk to, you know, and have a real conversation. But, we ran into Robert Palmer. He had out um, "Addicted to Love" was his big single at the time, that's and they a were huge single. Doing shows. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge and, song. And uh, so we met we met Robert Palmer and his band in McDonald's. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> oh wow, they ended up, they, yeah, it was so cool. They ended up giving us we got tickets for their show that night, and um, uh, I know I remember the first time we met Robert Palmer, and another person we met was uh, Natalie Cole. And um, I got a chance to talk to Natalie Cole for about five minutes. It was so cool because um, in Japan, it's like American celebrities, they're, they're not as uptight as they are over here, you know, because yeah. the culture is just, man, it's just, you know, they, it's just, man, it's just a different vibe, man. I mean, they just appreciate so much what we bring to the party, you know, musically, you know, uh, the legacies that we bring, they just, it was, the respect was off the chart. They even had respect for us and we were nobodies, yeah. you know, but because we could play the way we played, they, they, you know, that's what they were trying to learn how to do. They're trying to learn how to play like us. Right. Right. You know, so, wow. so yeah, man, it, it was, it was a real cool experience. And so we went over a few times, you know, we did, a, we did a bunch of things, you know, in, in Asia, um, before coming back to the states and and saying, okay, you know, what what's the next move? How are we going to get this band, you know, to the next level? You know what I mean? Yes, sir. I do know what you mean. And we are out of time today, Todd. But next week we're going to wrap up this awesome story with Todd and talk about where his journey took him and where he's currently at today in music and life and everything else. And I got to be honest. Getting these artists that are either on tour or in a different state, it can be challenging at times. So when they jump on with me and share their life journey with me, it's such a humbling experience. You have been listening to TK's A Brigade. You can find the podcast on every major platform, Spotify, Anchor, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. 
please go like and subscribe. And one final note, I love your feedback. So any constructive criticism, any questions or comments, I cherish that because honestly, good feedback helps me to make this podcast so much better. So keep those questions and those comments coming. And one final thing, a quick shout out to the nephew. Love you, man. It was good to see you last weekend. Let's catch up again. For the rest of y'all, until next time, take it easy.